Hello and welcome to a very foggy, very misty hangouts and headlines this morning. A little bit more Halloween-y than even Halloween was. I hope you're not facing low visibility in your area. But if you are in Southeast Michigan, I can tell you from reports from co-counsel and my eldest that fog is afoot. It looks a little bit like some of those early 1960s movies depicting London out there. How are you all doing? Where are you hanging out from? We've got a big topic today, one that I know touches on a lot of people's lives. And we're going to take a look at it from maybe a little bit of a different perspective, the opiate addiction. Some are calling it a crisis. Obviously, a lot of legal wrangling going on around there and an unexpected settlement, primarily because, at least in some places, the pharmacies that we're going to be talking about today were winning their arguments and in other places they were losing. And we're going to talk a little bit about the law of economics as well as part of this conversation. But before we get into the super serious stuff, it is Thursday, November 3rd, 2022. How is everybody feeling? What are you up to? What have you got going on? The Sandman was renewed on Netflix, so it's a good day for everybody. Season two, we'll see exactly what they do to the budget of that show that they were clearly on the fence for. But what's going on? We do have a couple of super chats very early this morning. Very, very cool of you. Thank you for the support. Terry Zizlecki, Morning from Annapolis, here for Waffle Bear. We got Waffle Bear. Waffle Bear is around. We're going to get him in a better way to, to put him up there. Waffle Bear is beloved. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll, we will see. We will see soon. We know everybody loves Waffle Bear. And Britt Cormier, clocks and lawyers. Well, we ever see them get along in our lifetime. Hogue, when, when the big hand points at six, the little hand points at seven, it's time to press the go live button. I mean, I could have. There wouldn't have been an introduction. There would have been me trying to find a useful definition of public nuisance for us. Uh, and I have to tell you, it was difficult. And if you're wondering why I'm looking that up, well, that's the thesis around which almost all the cases against these pharmacies relies. And it's not so much a thesis as a kind of magic hand waving that we're going to talk about as part of this. But I did want to find at least some kind of statutory code that looked like we could talk about it. I found one in a municipality in Ohio. Uh, and so we'll at least have something to hang our hats on when we discuss whether or not it's appropriate to use a theory like this, even if it seems like a good idea, uh, when it could broaden out the legal ramifications pretty significantly. We got a lot to talk about uh, on today's episode, I promise. Uh, let's see here. We've got somebody that's already chasing word count, Ekaruki, for National Writing Month 2022. Keep at it. Several thousands of words behind the target. That's okay. It's only, it's November 3rd. You can easily get behind there. How many are you trying to write per day? Uh, that's that's a question uh, for, for this. How, how many does it take to write a, uh, a novel or a short story in order to make that work? I've never participated in National Writing Month. Although some of you may have seen it, I'm going to probably put them up in community posts in the future that I am writing for The Escapist. I'm doing articles, it looks like right now on a weekly basis, give or take. We'll see. We'll see when things pop up. Um, and uh, so I am writing. <laughs> For the first time in a long time, at least outside of contracts and things like that, which is just not as creative as you might otherwise hope. Ninyal 1994, getting in there early with the comments on the main topic of the day. I blame bad doctors. Here, take one when it hurts. Six weeks of pain pills gone in three days. Any wonder my father got addicted when he blew out his back. And I think there's going to be, thank you very much for the support in the comment, Nin girl. I think there's going to be a number of us here in this discussion, in the chat or otherwise, that have had touch points with people that have gotten addicted to opioids. 
and so that that's that's going to be okay. We're going to be talking about it from a kind of 30,000-foot perspective, which can feel a little cold at times, but I think it's an important analysis to do. But absolutely, bring in comments like Ningel's here uh, and uh, and talk about your experiences because I, I know that a lot of people are affected. We're going to try to treat it with the sensitivity that it deserves, as we do here in Hangouts and Headlines, while also talking about whether or not pharmacies should be on the hook for this, because I'm going to tell you right now as a spoiler, it's a dicey proposition from where I'm sitting to apply the laws in this way to their legally filling prescriptions. Um, so we'll get there. We will get there. Astrid says, good morning from Erlangen, Germany on a sunshiny day. Ooh, that sounds nice. I'm looking forward to a closer look at this sunshine emoji, happy emoji. I think we got some good stuff and we're going to be focusing on the Ohio cases uh, because that's where uh, the uh, the municipalities here have their wins. That's the other aspect of this that we'll also mention, which is that these awards and this settlement isn't going to people, isn't going to people affected by uh, opioids or otherwise. It's going to the governments of the people's locations. Uh, and that's another thing that we, we're going to have to mention. Absolutely. Uh, good morning from North Hampshire, says PE. It's a beautiful morning here. Fantastic. I'm envious of you all with your beautiful mornings. Not that I can see much outside here, and it's only going to get worse on Sunday. Uh, but we will we will, we will, will get through it. Fog creeping in a bit, says MZ. We're by the coastline. Great to hear new Sandman episodes. I'm not in charge of Netflix, but I'm very appreciative of their decision there. Season one was gothic cool. I like it. It kind of was gothic cool. I'm just amazed by the Sandman's voice. I, I would I would love to have the Sandman's voice. Very, very impressive stuff. <laughs> uh, SCJ643. For me, I'm running into the issue that I have ADHD and was prescribed Adderall as a kid. Yeah, I suspect outside of opioids, and I'm going to be frank here. I'm not a doctor. I know enough to be dangerous. I don't think Adderall is an opioid. But outside of opioids, regardless, um, there's going to be all sorts of problems with people and medication and the health system. And we have a whole, again... <laughs> We talked earlier this week about like a 24-hour stream of just talking about education issues in America. We could have a 24-hour stream just talking about healthcare issues in America. Uh, we'd have to find a good charity for that one. But it's these are big topics. They're important topics. I love all of the people that commented on the education stream. It was really amazing. Lots of different focuses, lots of different perspective, lots of different experiences. Uh, and, and I absolutely love that from this community and from these conversations that we're having. So absolutely keep that up here in chat. Keep that up here in comments. I think we're having really good conversations for YouTube and the internet. And I'm proud of that. I'm proud of you guys. It's not me, right? Uh, so yeah, leave those comments. Put those in chat. Absolutely. A lot of people are going to have a lot of feelings on this. And rightfully so. People's lives were destroyed by drugs, whether they were prescribed or not. That happens. And we can talk about that. But we also have to talk about the legal system because, honestly, that's what I'm trained in. Hopefully, that's why you're here. Uh, and we can chat about whether or not there are better mechanisms to handling this than going after, like, the Walgreens. Uh, but we'll also talk about why that happened. Sardism says, Hogue, the goal for National Writing Month is 50,000 words. So that's, that's, like, just under 2,000 words a day. That's a lot of writing. If you can write every day, that means about 1,617 words per day. I jumped the gun there. Sorry, Sardinisms. But then there's Thanksgiving when you probably shouldn't be writing. So basically like 2,000 words a day if you're going to take any reasonable time off at Thanksgiving, which I think I will. I don't know. You all see this channel. Even on Weekend Wednesday, videos go up. It is what it is. I love this stuff. 
I love chatting with you guys. I love hanging out. I love headlines. I love virtual legality. Uh, so that's really interesting. Maybe maybe next month. It is only November 3rd. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know if I've got a novel in me. I've got a lot going on. <laughs> uh, but I'm really, really proud of everybody that's given it a try. I think it's a great kind of concept. And what I always say about drafting, whether it's contracts or articles or what have you, is get it on the page. Try not to go over every comma, every semicolon, every wording, every phrase uh, while you're putting out your ideas. Just get writing down and then the polish phase is fun. But try not to polish on the fly or you will slow yourself down until you're unsatisfied with your progress. That's my experience, at least. That's that's my little bit of advice there. Midnight Dreary says, really enjoyed your article. Thank you, Midnight Dreary. That is awesome. I'm getting back into the swing of things. I used to write a lot more uh, for various sites and things. And uh, The Escapist was kind enough to uh, to have me on. And I think it's working out so well. But yes, for the most part, I say like and subscribe here, right? If you guys can go click on that Escapist article from the community post and read through it a little bit, uh, that would be helpful for uh, proving my value over there as well. So if you can do that, if you like it, fantastic. Leave a comment over there. Everything that can show that uh, I'm uh, I'm valuable uh, is helpful to keeping that up. <clears throat> uh, Kaimalin says, I never catch this live since it's 4.30 a.m. in Arizona. I cannot blame you. And yet you're chatting. Hmm. But this is a subject that means a lot to me because I suffer from chronic pain and I'm seeing my kids access to pain meds after cancer surgery. Well, that sounds terrible. I'm very sorry, Kaimalin. And yeah, that's that's a part of it, right? All of these stories, we talk about education having two sides, opioids, right? They serve a purpose. They can help reduce pain, which is so, so important because there's a lot of people in pain. Um, and society struggles with dealing with that. And the worry is that if you get too far on this side of the pendulum, then you're going to underprescribe for pain. Uh, and so I, I get that. I understand. And I that's part of the conversation we need to have about legal liability and tort lawyers and municipalities and things like that is this is difficult stuff. Uh, and there are certainly bad actors all over the place, uh, but we need to try to make sure that the hammer of law is wielded as beneficially for the most people as possible. And I do worry a little bit about just applying public nuisance to pharmacies in this way. I will talk more about that as we get into the headlines. Thank you so much for the comment. I really appreciate it. Um, Emily says, bad news, I didn't win Powerball. Yeah, you know what's funny? Uh, while I was looking for headlines and while I was considering what I was going to talk about, the most prominent headline in most of the places I was looking at was like, Powerball is really high. It's like, okay, great. Okay. Emily, I'm very sorry to hear you didn't win. Good news, nobody else did either, so there's still a chance. You're saying there's a chance, lol. Squeezing, laughing emoji. <laughs> uh, well, good for you. Keep on keeping on. If you do win that Powerball, I want to hear about it in this chat right before you go and buy a private island. Law of Improbability says, I know there were some claims back around 2009 that opiates weren't as addictive as feared for long-term pain management. I don't know who put out those claims, but some medical institutions acted on it. Yep, that's a part of the story. You can go watch that in various documentaries. I believe I saw... Uh, discussion of Purdue Pharma talking about that, but again, in like a dramatization, I think that was in Dope Sick. So it's it's a confusing set of facts, but obviously to the extent that that proves to not be the case, and uh, even more, especially if that proves to be motivated by wanting to sell more of them into the market, you might have a claim there. Um, the pharmacies are perhaps a different ball of wax. 
but we'll see. Carrie says, I have to have surgery earlier this year. They gave me a full prescription for opioids for recovery. I never filled it. Didn't even go close to needing something that strong for the pain. Yeah, I'm always super careful uh, when I've had um, a tooth work. Unfortunately, most of my stuff has been work on my teeth uh, due, due to things we don't need to get into. Uh, they often prescribe a you know a full on Vicodin, and I I am always super careful with those. Um, Kelly says I just got back from my morning walk. Not a ton of fog down here by Lake Erie. Good to hear. Aaron says I have a long list of chronic autoimmune diseases, including lupus, fibro. I'm going to get all these wrong. Uh, colitis, etc. I have to take tramadol daily. Have taken fentanyl patches and morphine at times. Yeah, and that's 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 a lot of stuff. But I mean, if you wind up getting into a, a real pain situation, that that might make sense. But what I worry about is that like that kind of usage will be the, the type of thing that the law and liability wants to tamp down on, uh, and and that's not going to be fair if if people are facing that legitimate pain. Sherry says what I just said. Doctors are now afraid to prescribe it, so people with pain can't get pain meds. What is easy to get? Heroin. This happened in my family. Yes. And you look at things like this and we get into situations where, okay, if you tamp down on legal, what happens with black market? What happens with synthetic? What happens with those types of things? So all of these things have to be taken into account when we're looking at these stories. Definitely. Yingyal 1994. Thank you so much for the support. Oh, and with Australian universal healthcare, there is no incentive for doctors to pass out meds like candy. When I go to the doctors, I should be evaluated not ask what painkiller I want and how many angry emoji. Have you had that experience, Ningel? I, I have not had that experience with a doctor, but there are definitely doctor feel good types out there. We have seen them, whether it's watching, you know, Depp v. Heard uh, or otherwise, we've seen people that are fully willing to use their, their medical license and their prescription power to, uh, to do things that perhaps the law would prefer they not. Um, but if you've had that experience with a doctor, yeah, that's not, that's not great. Thank you for the comment. Jennifer Edwards, I need them since over-the-counter meds don't work. My family doesn't process meds right, and we would overdose on ibuprofen, Tylenol, et cetera, before they would work. Now I suffer because no one will give me the meds I need for pain when I need them. That is so sad, Jennifer. I'm so uh, I'm so unhappy to hear that. Thank you for the super chat. I wish it were in better circumstances. I really, really do. Uh, and yeah, I think I think that's something to, to worry about. Uh, and certainly when I've got like migraines or things, I, I know the feeling of, of getting close on ibuprofen uh, when it starts to tear up your stomach a little bit. Adderall can be addictive, but in my opinion, as a pharmacist, if it exists, it can be abused, like some heart medications. That's probably right. You can probably find a way to abuse any substance, but there are certainly ones that lean more into that than others. <laughs> and we got people talking about my virtual legality yesterday. Hi, I would love to have a PlayStation VR 2 because I have a PlayStation VR 1, as do I and our big PlayStation fan, but because PlayStation 5s now are $750 here in Sweden due to taxes, is it dollars? I, I actually don't know. PlayStation VR may be the same here, equals too expensive. I think Sony's priced themselves out of a legitimate market. I don't know why they did that. I think they made a number of business decision errors uh, this year and in the years in the past. I think they also got caught flat-footed with the changes in the supply line and the inflationary economy. And they had the choice whether or not to eat some of that themselves or to hand it off to you. And they decided to hand it off to you, which I do think kills their PlayStation VR initiative pretty much before it started. Just one man's opinion. I'd very much like to be wrong on that. Uh, you can go to the comments and find out just exactly how much of an Xbox supporter I am and whether or not I'm getting bribed directly by Phil Spencer. Whatever floats your boat, folks. Whatever floats your boat. Thank you for the comment, Jacob. The abuse of opioids is an issue. However, having chronic pain issue or post-surgical pain and not being able to get treatment sucks. Just not treating people is not the answer. I agree, Josie. 
I agree. Absolutely. There's a difference between those that take it to get high and those that take it to join in with life. That's true. None of this is wrong, I don't think. But you can see the struggles that the law has with it, especially when the municipalities come and sue and say, you've caused all this tumult, all this nuisance, all these problems, and you owe us billions uh, for it. Because at that point, if that is a winner, if you wind up settling, as these pharmacies are now slated to do, you have to change the way you operate. And the other question there is, do you want the guy at Walgreens saying, hmm, do you really need this after you got prescribed it from a doctor? We've got all sorts of issues with what we're looking at for this, unfortunately. Winter River Roots Farm. Hello, Winter River Roots Farm. Good morning from Aztec, New Mexico. Woke up early from this much needed rain, so I got to see you live. Two amazing ways to get my morning going. Three green heart emojis. Welcome, and thank you for the super chat. Uh, I, do, I do love listening to the rain. Hopefully it sounds good in Aztec, New Mexico. And uh, welcome, and good morning. It is really early over there. Sardism says, Vicodin is the only thing my boyfriend has found to stop an effect on his narcolepsy that he can only describe as a twitch. He can no longer get it because he's on disability and needs lots of meds. I think this is going to continue to be a more exacerbated problem as we see this kind of liability roll in. Disney Nerd 85, good morning, Hogue fam. A little late this morning. It's been a rough week. I am so sorry to hear that, Disney Nerd 85. Well, you're not calling in from Disney World anymore. That has to be at least a reduction in your utility a little bit. I'm very sorry with whatever's going on, and I'm very sorry to see this very unhappy emoji. I hope things get better for you. I hope you have a wonderful Thursday, and thank you so much for joining us in the chat. Going after pharmacies, says Josie is crazy. The only thing the pharmacy should be held responsible for is if they knowingly overprovide without alerting physicians. That's part of the complaint. We'll see some alarming numbers that I think basically is what won the Ohio attorney's case for them, uh, but we do have to ask whether that's fair just from those numbers. So we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. We absolutely will. Uh, and a lot of people, as I expected, want to talk about this 100%. Um, I'm lucky, says Kelly Marine, that I don't like the way but Vicodin makes me feel. I don't either. <laughs> so I stopped taking it and downgrade to ibuprofen as soon as I can tolerate the pain. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Uh, I'm glad doctors here in Germany are careful about overprescribing meds. You should be. Any, any doctors that are doing their jobs, we should be thankful for. 100%. Good morning, Hogan, fellow Hoglodites. Hmm. It's not bad. I've seen I've seen Hogies, Hoglodites. It's a little bit like troglodytes, cave people. It's good. <laughs> what about the doctors that push the drugs? Well, we're also going to talk about economics here, right? Because the doctors, though often well off, aren't as well off as the pharmacies. And one of the first rules of bringing a claim is where does the money live? And who could we plausibly go after for that money? So in general, doctors prescribing, yes, they would seem to be the ones most responsible, yes? Well, you're going to go after the manufacturers, and then you're going to go after the suppliers. Uh, and so that's going to be your big pharma companies and then your big pharmacies. And we saw this in other ways with respect to things like the tobacco settlements in the 90s. And there's a lot of stuff that we can otherwise evaluate on these grounds. But the, the problem, there's a whole bunch of problems with the legal system, right? I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's perfect. Every system on earth is made up of humans. Uh, but the problem with the way the legal system works, especially civil liability, is that it very much incentivizes you to go find the deepest pockets. Regardless of whether or not they're the closest to the harm, 
generally speaking, the law allows for multiple parties to have engaged in the harm creating activity, right? When you think about these things, we've talked about, for instance, the Rust shooting, the Alec Baldwin shooting. And I've talked about the fact that the DA said I might sue four people. Now there's one killing, there's one shooting, but it's easy to understand in that context. This applies in all sorts of different contexts that, okay, Alec Baldwin looks like he pulled the trigger. Uh, there are bullets in the gun. That's not great. Safety protocols are shown to have been violated for that whole week and maybe during the entirety of filming. So there's a number of people on which you could actually affix damages. At that point, if you're a civil litigant, you're not the DA and looking at criminal liability, you can say, well, who's got the money? Who's got the money? Because in the law, for the most part, you're all going to be liable. And it depends on jurisdiction, whether it gets spread into percentages and things like that. But you're going to go look for things like the movie producers, things like the studio, things like the insurance. And those are the places you're going to find money. Here, you say, okay, Walgreens has money. Walmart has money. CVS has money. Dr. Feelgood maybe not so much. Uh, and so that incentivizes the law to go into different directions, but it also kind of is a perverse incentive, right? Because we're not getting necessarily down to the brass tacks of what happened and it can change society in ways that we don't love. And so that's part of the reason I wanted to talk about this. Uh, and I'm skipping a few chats here so that we can get a little bit closer to, to real time. Um, but I think that's all very, very important as a conversation. I'm super glad that we're having it here. Abigail says only 106 likes. I think that's a lot of likes, Abigail, honestly. But if you want to like this, if you're enjoying this conversation, you want to see more of it, you want YouTube to know that these conversations are good. Yes, definitely like it then pushes it out to more people. More people join us. We have a better conversation. It's a grand old time. Uh, so do like, subscribe, do all those fun things. I really, really appreciate it. And thank you for flagging it, Abigail. Uh, Alexis84DE with a super chat. Are we blaming banks for gambling addiction too? It's a little bit similar, right? If you've, if you've got these situations, and unfortunately banks are a bad example because we blame banks for a whole lot of stuff, uh, right? Part of the reason you see credit cards pulling out of uh, allowing certain purchases and things like that and banks otherwise being forced to track your deposits and whatnot is because uh, we want folks as a society, I guess. The we here is a very pluralized royal we. It isn't me. Uh, as a society is determined that we want these various institutions to to watch over you a little bit more. Uh, and so putting blame on these things, yes. I, I expect now that we've got a lot more sports gambling and things that are very directly advertised, I expect there to be some gambling lawsuits in the future because we do get into this question of where does the agency live, right? Where does it live? At, at at least with opioids, you have a chemical reaction that is a little bit more of a scientific addiction where I think we can take and say, okay, maybe there isn't full agency on the part of the person. You get into gambling, you get into other things that are, are, are feel good kind of things. You're going to have more attenuated legal liability. doesn't mean that you couldn't be liable for those types of things, but there are various degrees of what in my opinion, the law should be attaching liability to. And it wouldn't surprise me if we got onto that level as well. Sharon says the show Dope Sick on Hulu with Michael Keaton portrays the problem in Kentucky and West Virginia with the drug companies very well. It is most certainly not fiction. Well, it's dramatized. We do have to note that. Um, I, I think uh, Dope Sick is, is a very interesting piece and co-counsel very much enjoyed it and recommended it to me. Uh, but it, it is definitely dramatized. Uh, and whether or not everything rightly falls, I want to say it's Purdue Pharma that's the subject of that uh, documentary with, or, or dramatization, but somebody could correct me on that exactly how much of that is true. I always recommend grain of salt, do the research. Uh, it is it is based on true events. 
uh, but I wouldn't want to commit to the whole, the Hulu show as dope sick as, as your only research on the matter. Uh, but I do appreciate it, Sharon. I think it is a, an interesting show, and uh, certainly it is very effective at communicating things that are maybe not as effectively communicated either with even hangouts and headlines or a documentary or something like that. Andy says, I'm thankful that I've been relatively healthy. I can't take most meds, including Vicodin, codeine, and ibuprofen. The one pain med that works for me was removed as an avail pen, uh, pain med, as an available pain med. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear about the last part there. Um, and it's certainly good that you're healthy. We can all only thank, thankfully be blessed in our health, whatever that may be, and hopefully getting through whatever health problems we have. But uh, yeah, it's always whatever reason that it was removed for being available, that might relate to legal liability as well. So I, I don't know the full story there. All right, folks, I think we're, we're, we're talking about this. I think we should continue talking about this. Let's start breaking down some of the stories. Well, we got Britt coming in here with a really, really big super chat. Thank you so much, Britt, for the support of the channel. Highlighted that fact. You bring the claim where the money is and not against who has the greatest liability. I might be 5% liable, but if I'm the only one with a billion dollars in my pockets, I'm being sued, even if that billion is from a different business. Uh, possibly. If it's in a different business, we got other problems, certainly, Britt. But yes, this is, this is one of those points that when people see injustice on one of these things, and they might on this pharmacy stuff, they might not. It depends. On, on, we'll, we'll talk about it. Uh, it. This is one of those reasons where you get into trouble, right? And it's one of the reasons why if you're a client or prospective client sitting across the desk from me, we got to be cognizant of the fact is, are you at risk? Do you have money? If you have money and you're at all responsible for something, you have to be more worried than if you don't have money. And that in opposite is one of the problems with the legal system as well, which is on a civil liability kind of standpoint, if you don't have deep pockets, if you don't have stuff that is very likely to go after and be collected, then there's very little incentive to go and try to bring you up in court. So even though we might look at this and say, Dr. Feelgood is probably 80% of the problem here, if not more, if they don't come up in court, the law isn't going to respond to that properly. The society isn't going to respond to that properly through this system. You can legislate a little bit more. You can do other things with the criminal code. But through a civil liability system, you're going to get these kinds of perversities uh, that move liability into places where we might not necessarily want it. And that is the real politic of the thing. Wish I could give better news, right? On a Thursday morning here where we're otherwise trying to have fun, hang out and do headlines. Uh, but I think that this is part of the point is when people say, well, why would you go after Walmart on this? It's because it's Walmart. It's Walmart. Walmart knows that. Walmart is self-insured for some of these things. Walmart is accepting this settlement uh, in part because they will do the analysis and say it's cheaper than defending themselves in 5,000 cases or whatever these articles wind up saying. It's a huge number of, of cases that have been brought against them because they do have this money. But we as a society have to look at it and say, okay, well, if, and there's really no proof that this isn't the case, if they're fulfilling legal doctor's orders and they're putting them out there under the regulations that otherwise govern pharmacies, do we want to what amounts to retroactively make them responsible for what pharmaceutical companies and doctors did? Uh, and I personally have an issue with that, even though, you know, CVS and Walgreens and Walmart don't need me to defend them. They have billions of dollars. Uh, but uh, I don't know that it's appropriate to affix that liability there. Tulip, $2 super chat. Thank you so much, Tulip. I really appreciate it. Or Tulip 2. Uh, tulip two sounds like that song from Alice in Wonderland. Tiptoe through the tulips. Uh, I love it. All right, folks, let's talk about these articles. So we have to go a little bit in the past. I know this seems like a long time ago, November, 2021. 
Uh, but we're going to talk about this Ohio case because it appears that this Ohio case is kind of a direct antecedent, direct prologue, predecessor to what is this opioid settlement that is currently being discussed. Now, it is tentative when we get to that settlement, but generally speaking, it doesn't get leaked out or announced in this fashion uh, if it weren't somewhat done, right? So let's take a look at this particular article. This is from cleveland.com. Federal jury finds three major pharmacies, that's CVS, Walgreens, and Walmart, oversupplied opioids in Lake and Trumbull counties. Uh, the jury concluded that CVS, Walmart, and Walgreens created a public nuisance in the counties by oversupplying opioid pills. So let's stop. Let's pause. This phrase you're going to see a bunch. It's public nuisance. Now, it is not a great match for what we're talking about here. I'm just going to warn you. The overall notion of public nuisance, which has both statutory components, we wrote it down, we put it in the law, it has rules, and common law concepts, which is essentially this is how we think about nuisance. We don't really need to define it. We can go look at treaties or uh, treatises uh, and look at 17th century England for how they were viewing nuisance. That's what we do here in America. And so it becomes a little bit amorphous. We can look broadly at how municipalities treat this. This is going to be different by city, by county, by state, by country, certainly. But we're going to stay in the United States here. And we get something that looks a little bit like no person or entity shall cause or permit a public nuisance to be or remain in or upon any structure, premises, or other place of which that person or entity is the owner, lessee, tenant, or occupant. Said another way, we're going to get into a definition, which arguably helps a little bit. You will be acting illegally if you permit a public nuisance to be at your location. Okay. What kind of thing are we talking about? Ohio municipality. Uh, a structure that is so out of repair and dilapidated that if it were permitted to remain, it would hurt someone, right? You all know this. This is the house that's falling down and is scheduled for demolition. If you leave it open, if you don't otherwise guard it, lock it, whatever you need to do, kids get in there, they get hurt. You're going to be on the hook for that public nuisance. Uh, tree stacks that could light on fire or otherwise cause problems. Uh, a cellar, which is unguarded, has an opening, uh, an accumulation of earth or rubbish, uh, again, so out of repair, things that could be causing fires, uh, the conduct of any activity on any property, which by reason of noxious odors generated thereby can hurt other people. So if you're burning things, you got hazardous chemicals, your meth lab is just smoking up the neighborhood. That's a public nuisance problem. You got other legal problems, by the way, but it's a public nuisance problem. The presence on any premises of a botanical species uh, classified as a noxious weed. The presence on any premise of turf grasses exceeding 10 inches in height. Uh oh, depending on the season, I could get in trouble in Ohio. Any structure becoming so out of repair, you got a lot of repetition, right? And these are going to cover slightly different things that are unimportant to our conversation. Generates loud, unusual, or unnecessary noise. This is public nuisance. We, we have this intuitively in our heads. It is a place that creates some kind of hazard for the public. And yes, if you want to take that to its common law extremes, that could be anything that operates and that a municipality, jurisdiction, state, or otherwise claims hurt the public. And the basic theory of these cases is that by running a pharmacy, and we'll see also by opening new branches of your pharmacies, that you effectively created the opioid epidemic crisis in our county. And as you can see, the, the laws, the regulations, they aren't really aimed at this, right? 
we get the umbrella term right at the end, any condition that exists which has been declared a public nuisance by common law or the Ohio revised code. Okay, so that's anything. You still have to prove your point to a jury, but here the jury sided with you, right? The jury gave a voice to all the families who've been affected by this, said Kim Frazier, the director of the Lake County Board of Alcohol, Drug Abuse, and Mental Health Services. There isn't a city, village, or township in our county that hasn't been affected. We have lost way too many lives. CVS, Walmart, and Walgreens say they disagree. This is not unsurprising. And I think their argument holds merit. Pharmacists fill legal prescriptions written by DEA-licensed doctors who prescribe legal FDA-approved substances to treat actual patients in need. The simple facts are that opioid prescriptions are written by doctors, not pharmacists. Opioid medications are made and marketed by manufacturers, not pharmacists. And our healthcare system depends on pharmacists to fill legitimate prescriptions that doctors deem necessary for their patients. Honestly, I can only speak for myself on this. I really don't want the guy at the Walgreens getting in and saying, hmm, not sure about this one, right? They don't have the understanding that my doctor has. They don't know what's going on. They are essentially a control mechanism uh, regulated and authorized by the state because we don't want people to have access to these things specifically on their own, which is a different value judgment. We could discuss at a different time, but they're the guardians only of the vault, not to be making decisions about whether or not the vault puts things out. That's the doctor's job. Uh, and so I look at this as a lawyer and I will just tell you my tilt, my biases here as I read this and I go, hmm, that seems like the right answer from the pharmacies. So we have to go on and see a little bit more. Polster will determine the amount the companies must pay the counties. He is expected to host a week-long hearing in the spring. We'll get there. That's May. About how much the community should receive. Attorneys for the counties have estimated that it would cost a billion dollars in each county to put an end to the epidemic. Now, the issue here, right? Let's say that that's the honest to God truth. And it takes a billion dollars per county. The issue here is while they've been found liable, are they liable for the entirety of the epidemic? because that doesn't sound right either. And we'll see that the judge basically will wind up agreeing there, but will absolutely account for damages. I hope the counties will spend the money wisely, said Dennis McGee, the father of a former Warren firefighter, Dennis Jr., who died of an overdose in 2017. This is justice, thank God. It won't change things, but this will be a shot across the bow. The county's attorney said the money is expected to go for treatment programs. That seems to be in accord with what this is about law enforcement, and community projects. And therein lies the rub additionally, right? We talked about this earlier in the video, but this money isn't going to Dennis McGee. It isn't going to the estates of the people that otherwise overdosed. These are suits brought by these municipalities, and they say they need this money to fight the epidemic, but you see it's going to go to law enforcement. It's going to go to whatever community projects are. My goodness. If that were in a term sheet for an investment document I were looking at, I would say, no, we're going to need some descriptions there, folks. I need to know where this money is going. And I hope the county spend it wisely is all that these people are left with to actually fight over. Trial reopened wounds. Um, and then we get some of these numbers, I believe. 400,000 people nationwide have died in the past two decades from opioids. Lake and Trumbull counties are among more than 3,000 communities across the country that have sued to hold drug manufacturers, the pharmaceutical companies, distributors, and pharmacies responsible for the epidemic. The cases have been consolidated in Cleveland here, and I think that's all we wanted to grab here. The verdict comes as courts across the country have questioned the issue of whether companies can be held liable for creating a public nuisance involving the opioids. Oh, and here's the last bit that I wanted to share. 
So I think this is probably why they went in front of this jury. And, and juries don't necessarily apply the law as strictly as you or I might. Uh, but a government database that tracked prescriptions found that more than 80 million pills poured into, that's editorialized description, but that's fine, poured into Trumbull County from 2006 through 2012. In those years, more than 60 million reached Lake County. Trumbull's population is slightly under 200,000, while Lake's population is about 230,000. So you're looking at like 300 or 400 pills per person, which includes children and anybody else that isn't otherwise taking the drug. So you've got a lot of pills there. Uh, but we don't get a lot more detail around this. That said, I think it is the kind of data point where you look at that and say, well, that is wrong. Uh, that does seem to be a ridiculous amount. And where uh, is the point where we do ask these pharmaceutical companies to be like, hey, have we have we subscribed a lot? Now, the other problem is, of course, they're private entities. They don't share their data necessarily. And if that's spread across three of the companies, you could just think you're cornering the market. Right. If you've only got a third of this, then maybe that's an acceptable number. I can't speak to what the acceptable number of Vicodin pills in your county is, even if you tell me the population of that county. And uh, I think also rightly, the pharmacies have said, well, there's a lot of illegal pills that are causing a lot of these as well. Trout came two years after Cuyahoga and Summit counties reached more than $325 million in settlements with the drug manufacturers and distributors, including Amerisaurus, Virgin, McKesson, and Cardinal Health. So when we talk about the pharmacies, they have also gone after, these are different counties, they have also gone after the pharmaceutical companies themselves. Now, as this article said, we were looking at claims in May, right? So here's January, an article about this coming May hearing. Attorneys for Lake Trumbull counties will seek to make pharmacies pay for damages brought by opioids. They have that jury verdict in their back pocket. That's very likely to be appealed, although maybe not after the settlement comes through. And they describe this finding as a federal jury found that the chains failed to stem the oversupply of prescription opioids through their stores. And again, the question you always have to ask here is, what does that look like? What does it look like if, let's say, CVS, Walgreens, and Walmart did everything right? They're going to win this case because they did succeed in stemming the oversupply of prescription opioids. Is that the guy at Walgreens saying, nope, I'm not going to let you have this. I don't care what your doctor says. Is that a functional system? Is that what we want? And if that isn't, and I would argue that it isn't, then is this liability really something that should attach to them? Because this is going to incentivize them to do exactly that. And I'm not positive that the law or anybody realistically actually wants that to happen. So mm, the law is a cudgel. The law is not a scalpel when you look at these kinds of things. And we do have to look at the second order effects of when you put together these kinds of liabilities. U.S. District Judge Dan Polster will preside over a two-week hearing beginning May 9th to determine how much the chains must pay. Attorneys for the counties have said it will take more than a billion dollars in each county to remedy the effects of the crisis. In documents, attorneys for the chains, the pharmacies, said the counties failed to produce evidence during the trial that a single prescription was improperly filled for illegitimate purposes. Now, I think we can take them on their word here because this is quite the claim, but we'll, we'll take it at least with a grain of salt because we're not looking at the primary documents in the trial, which I did not see reported on, folks, I'm sorry to say. But if that's right, if they looked at it, they evaluated it, and nobody anywhere can say that there's a fake doctor or they accepted a script from somebody that actually calls himself Dr. Feelgood and comes in looking like he's directly from Breaking Bad, that doesn't happen, then, well... Again, liability is a risky thing here. After Polster decides on the hearing in May, the pharmacies are likely to appeal. The key issues on appeal appear to stem from two concerns. But if things got a little wacky in the jury room on this one, 
The first involves juror misconduct. A juror studied a portion of testimony in the trial about the anti-overdose medication naloxone and then provided her colleagues with one-page printouts from home about it. Don't do this if you're on a jury. You get pretty specific instructions about not going and doing home research. And then if you print it out and bring it into the jury room. Mm. Polster questioned the other jurors on the panel and then continued the trial after dismissing the member who offered the information. The other involves the issue of whether the pharmacies created a public nuisance. The issue of a public nuisance is definitely an argument for appeal, said Andrew Polis, a professor at Case Western Reserve University School of Law in Ohio, who has followed the cases. Public nuisances have long stemmed from health concerns such as factories that pollute waterways or abandoned homes that have decayed so badly that neighborhoods become unsafe. Attorneys for the counties have stressed that the pharmacy's actions constitute a public nuisance because they harmed the public through the oversupply of painkillers. Lawyers for the chains have long contended that public nuisance laws were never meant for anything as large or as complicated as the opioid academic. This is actually pretty editorialized because for the most part, what I have seen is that they say the public nuisance laws don't apply to something that is otherwise regulated and legally compliant, right? So it's not, it's, oh, it's super big and complicated. Public nuisance laws have been used for all sorts of environmental and ecological disasters and things like that. It's that in this case, you don't have somebody illegally polluting a waterway. You don't have somebody violating that ordinance that we read earlier. You have, at least according to these pharmacies, and they say that there was never any proof that this wasn't the case, somebody that is fulfilling these prescriptions based on compliance with the regulations that are put before it. And do we want to punish those companies for doing that because they could have done more when we didn't otherwise require them to do more at either the regulatory, statutory, or legal level? Again, I don't want to just be here defending huge, giant companies. I know I get enough of that from my comments, but I don't think that their argument is a poor one here. Uh, and so when they go and say, ah, we're not really a public nuisance, I tend to side with them in terms of at least as long as they are legally compliant with whatever their requirements are. And we see that different jurisdictions have dealt with this differently, right? The AP covered this very case back in November of 21 when this all went down. And they point out that this is basically the only win that I can find for the municipalities on this right now. The reason, says the AP, is that the central argument that pharmacies create a public nuisance by dispensing an overwhelming quantity of prescription painkillers into each county is problematic. Similar arguments were used in two other cases in California and Oklahoma that went in favor of the industry in the weeks before the Ohio jury's decision. Given those decisions, there's no guarantee that Tuesday's verdict in the case brought by Lake and Trumbull counties against these pharmacies will hold up on appeal. And there's a variety of different decisions lately that should give us reason to be cautious about what this means in the grand scheme, the industry argues it did nothing illegal and that public nuisance laws simply don't apply to prescribing and distributing prescription painkillers. As we have said throughout this process, we never manufactured or marketed opioids, nor did we distribute them to the pill mills and internet pharmacies that fueled the crisis. The plaintiff's attempt to resolve the opioid crisis with an unprecedented expansion of public nuisance law is misguided and unsustainable. Lawyers representing the counties and other local governments involved in the broader universe of opioid lawsuits said the companies have been complicit in creating local public health emergencies by opening more locations, which is like the worst possible argument, flooding communities with pills and facilitating the flow of opioids into a secondary market. And I don't see anything from any of the articles I read that actually shows that, right? And again, we've got the problem that we don't actually have the primary source material. I'm not reading through the transcripts that are presented to the jury on this stuff. So we have to take that with a grain of salt but as looking at this from afar, 
I don't see them making the case that opening another Walgreens makes you liable for the opioid epidemic. And I think reference to the internet distributors and what this number that we were talking about, 400 pills per person and the prescriptions actually relates to is something that can be looked into that Walgreens, CVS and Walmart say, okay, well, let's talk about how much of that is us. Let's talk about exactly what liability we have uh, for this. And let's talk about the people that are really responsible. But those places probably don't have the money. And so we get back to brass tacks on all of this. Now, the reason this is coming up right this second. Oh, and I do have a description really quickly of another one that got kicked out to go with that AP article. Applying the law of public nuisance has been described in several of my previous columns as an opinion writer. Judge Faber affirmed that public nuisances are wrongful interferences with public property or resources and not adverse consequences of the legal sale of products. There is nothing unreasonable about distributing controlled substances to fulfill legally written prescriptions, the, the judge ruled. And this is in uh, July of 2022. So we're all looking at the summer right now as we roll into exactly how much money these places owe. So in terms of your timeline in the back of your head, we have the jury finding in November of 2021. We have the articles in January and June over the summer talking about what this is going to be. We have the hearing in May to see exactly what damages are going to be prescribed. And then in August of this year, a couple of months ago, we have the Ohio judge rule that they must pay a combined $650 million in damages related to the opioid crisis. Now, remember, these two counties have said they need a billion each. So that number at the top was probably $2 billion as the ask. They're going to get just over a quarter of that from all three of these companies combined as the judge found that they were responsible for these damages, and they're going to get to pay it over a long, long period of time, which if you're operating in this economy today, you know, is its own advantage if you otherwise owe large amounts of money. Walmart, CVS, and Walgreens must pay a combined $650.6 million to two Ohio counties for damages related to the opioid crisis. The federal judge ruled. U.S. District George Polster, Judge Polster ruled that over the next 15 years, approximately $306 million must be paid to Lake and $344 million must be paid to Trumbull. So, they can pay it over a long amount of time. The counties alleged that the pharmacies abused their position of special trust and responsibility as registered dispensers of controlled drugs and in so doing fostered a black market for prescription opioids, says the complaint. Polster wrote in his ruling that the awarded damages are meant to address a small piece of a terrible and tenacious and escalating national tragedy. Even if the court could wave a magic wand and forever remove any existing or future oversupply of legal prescription opioids and prevent all future diversion of legal prescription opioids into the illicit market, this conjuring would do nothing to reduce the nuisance that would continue to exist in Lake and Trumbull counties. That is the widespread prevalence of opioid use disorder and opioid addiction. That can't be the nuisance. The nuisance is making it available it can't be the actual functional results. So I, I don't, it's very difficult. We don't have all the specifics on this stuff. But when we're talking about these kinds of things, what is clear to me is what you've got is motivated reasoning. You've got a situation that is bad. I think we can all agree. We don't want people dying of opioid overdoses. And then you start looking for someone to blame. In this case, the jury found these pharmacies to blame and the judge followed up even with a kind of illogical reference to what the nuisance actually is and where it might live here. Facing that, it does appear, is what drove some of the news that we saw yesterday, which is CVS and Walgreens agree to a $10 billion tentative deal on opioid cases, and Walmart will also reportedly settle. As set forth in CNN, CVS and Walgreens have tentatively agreed to pay a combined $10 billion to settle lawsuits brought by states and local governments these are all the municipal lawsuits, no individual lawsuits, nothing going to people 
alleging that the retailers mishandled prescriptions of opioid painkillers. Walmart has also tentatively agreed to pay $3 billion in similar lawsuits, citing sources familiar with the matter. The agreement wouldn't be finalized until enough states, counties, and cities agree to the terms, right? You have to hit some kind of critical mass because it doesn't make sense for you to agree to a settlement where you don't have 90% or 95% of the people signing up. CVS said if the settlement is reached, it would pay the states nearly $5 billion over 10 years beginning in 2023. Walgreens said that they would also pay about $5 billion over the course of 15 years. We believe this is in the best interest of the company and our stakeholders at this time and allows our pharmacists, dedicated healthcare professionals who live and work in the communities they serve to continue playing a critical role in providing education and resources to help opioid misuse and abuse. And CVS also said something similar, according to CNN. Uh, we are pleased to resolve these longstanding claims, said CVS's general counsel. We get a little summary of what is happening here. And then we get a little bit of a problematic statement for all of this. More than 500,000 overdose deaths over the past two decades, including more than 80,000 in 2021 alone, are blamed on the U.S. opioid crisis. Government data show with an estimated 9.5 million Americans aged 12 and older reported in 2020 to have misused opioids, including 9.3 million prescription pain relief uh, relief abusers and 902,000 heroin users. All right, so we're, we're, we're bringing in heroin, not generally a legally prescribed opioid. Meanwhile, synthetic opioids, primarily fentanyl, caused nearly two-thirds of the more than 100,000 overdose deaths in the U.S. in the 12-month period ending April 2021, up 49% from the year before, the CDC's National Center for Health Statistics found. So here again, it's our job to look at this and at least contemplate second order functions. What happens when we do this? We make pharmacies liable. We make pharmaceutical manufacturers liable. We see this bad thing. We go to address it. <clears throat> what happens? The second paragraph tells all. You have a black market. You now have synthetic opioids. You have things that look at least from afar, taking this data on its face, which I know we shouldn't do when we're looking at a CNN article, but just for purposes of argument here, and seeing something that is far more lethal by all apparent accounts. And we get into those conversations that the US had with respect to prohibition, that had with respect to black markets in general. If you make these things legal prescriptions, liability sources, you're going to move things out. You're going to get doctors not prescribing. You're going to get pharmacies not giving. You're going to give manuf manufacturers not making. And you're going to leave things to the synthetic fentanyl market. And so I wanted to at least point that out because I think there are a lot of things in this particular story that can go in multiple different directions. We don't have to view ourselves as cold and callous and on the side of big pharmacy in order to say, hmm, hmm. We should really do a double take on what our legal system just did here, that it allowed municipalities to argue over these things that were otherwise lawful, that were otherwise regulated by the FDA and otherwise, and then to say, wow, this, this hurt us. We don't like that. We'd like to go get some of that money. And whether or not that's a good thing for us as people, as folks that are going to need doctors, potentially need opioids uh, and need to be managing our pain. So. That's today's set of headlines. Obviously, a lot of serious topics there. Uh, and I, I suspect you all have a lot of thoughts. I did see some super chats come in. I want to make sure I grab all those. We'll talk about them first as we do. But please do leave your comments. What do you think about all of this? What do you think about those articles? Uh, am I right? Am I wrong in terms of some of the analysis that I gave? I'm always willing to reexamine my premises on this kind of stuff. Super serious and affects a lot of lives. So let's talk about it. Kyle says, I know Dr. Podcaster Peter Atia 
had pharmacies refused to fill prescriptions he made during the height of the thing that shall not be named. It's a problem, right? If you're a doctor and you're using your best medical opinion, you're not Dr. Feelgood and you see your patient come in in pain, you prescribe these opioids and then a pharmacy rejects them because of this, because of liability that could otherwise attach. I think you've got a dysfunction in your society. I really do. Crazy Cat Queen says, retired family MD here. In my opinion, the main problem is that primary care should be the most important doctor in a person's life, but insurance denies testing, limits reimbursement time with patients, approves methods and opioids, and that's its own issue. Yeah, and you've got a one here, Crazy Cat Queen. Oh, here's your two. Uh, insurance treating primary care uh, medicine, PCM docs, like one-offs is a major problem that leads not only to opioid crises, but unnecessary specialty treatments where PCMs could treat if they had time with their patients. Certainly, I think you can drag health insurance and the healthcare system in America into this. Uh, and I appreciate the comment very much, Crazy Cat Queen. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. I think there are a lot of points of failure here. Uh, and I very much appreciate the context and the concept there that doctors, because of the way insurance works, maybe aren't getting the proper amount of time and are incentivized to not give that time based on some of the other stuff that's going on. Uh, so thank you for that. It's very disheartening, but I very appreciate the context and the comment. T, definitely feel like there should be some state federal public safety statutes, including for addressing health issues instead of public nuisance. Well, there are. I mean, there's regulatory rules around running a pharmacy, and there's no indication that those were violated. And that's the problem, right? You can absolutely go and you can find common law things that you can apply. There are umbrella things all over the place, right? We talk about this a little bit more in virtual legality when we're going over deal making and things like that. But various states, and most prominently California, has a law that says it's unlawful to unfairly compete with another company. And that's basically all it says. So you see it in every lawsuit that says, whatever it is that we're accusing this other company of doing, it's unfair competition under California law. Generally speaking, doesn't do much. But in cases like Epic versus Apple that we went over, that's what the judge actually hung, hung her hat on, was saying, okay, I'm going to use that particular piece of law to change what I want to change. Uh, and this is very similar to saying, okay, well, you didn't violate the regulations. In that case, you didn't violate the Sherman Act. You didn't violate antitrust laws. But we still think there's something bad here. And so even though you followed the letter of the law with respect to regulations and we can't find anything illegal on you, at least according to them, and there's no indication that they did, uh, we're just still going to find that it's a public nuisance because eh, we didn't really think about how this would work as we regulated it. And it turns out we think it hurts society more than we originally anticipated. It almost has the feel of retroactive lawmaking or retroactive punishment dealing, right? That you've got a situation where I'm complying with everything and then you later change your mind and now I'm on the hook for $15 billion. Okay. All right. That's that's going to be an issue. And it's going to be an issue for the people on the ground. It's going to be an issue for the pharmacists as well as the pharmacies. It's going to be an issue for the doctors. It's going to be an issue for a whole lot of folks. Ninjal 1994, pharmacists are a valuable resource when it comes to medical interactions. That is their training and they're amazing at it. My local one is amazing. Green heart emoji. Absolutely. I, I honestly can't say I could recognize my pharmacist. <laughs> uh, but I do think that there is a role for them to have in explaining what a particular prescription does, medication, worries, things like that. And a personal relationship is probably a good thing to have. But if push comes to shove and I've got a doctor's prescription that says I can have these things, I don't want them to serve a gatekeeping function as between the doctor and me. I, I, I don't want that. That might be me. Maybe some of you have different opinions on that. Happy to listen to them. Uh, but I know that personally, I don't want them to serve that kind of role. Britt says, can we use this logic one step further? The cities and counties approved the permits for these pharmacies and maybe even gave them preferred tax status. Maybe they are liable. We also know that they have the dollars, LOL. 
Well, Brit, as I know that you know, we have a little something called sovereign immunity here in the United States. And that basically means it's really, really hard to win a lawsuit against whatever your governing body is, whether that's a town, township, village, city, county, state, or federal government. Uh, it's very difficult to say you did something wrong enough that you should be held responsible. And you're right. Chances are there was some process when they opened new locations that it went through somebody uh, at the government's office that approved the location, it approved the build, it approved whatever. Uh, and should they have a responsibility? Maybe. They're not going to sue themselves, though. I'm very sorry to say. Thank you for the super chat, Britt. I really appreciate it. Uh, and we do have a few more here, and I want to make sure I grab. Crazy Cat Queen again with the follow-up. Thank you so much for the chats today. I quit medicine because I just could not continue in a healthcare system where the patient-primary care doctor relationship is so undervalued. It's a detriment to the patient's care. Sad emoji. That is a sad emoji. That is the epitome of a sad emoji. Yeah, I, you know, we could we could get despondent here Thursday morning. I think a healthcare system is a real big time problem, and you don't have the relationships that you need to have with your doctors, and that creates worse health outcomes, and that makes the thing worse. And then uh, I I agree, Crazy Cat. I'm very sorry to see you drummed out of something that uh, that you were doing uh, because of that situation. But thank you so much for the super chat. I really appreciate it. Stephanie Coker says insurance pays for the opioids, but not for addiction treatment is a huge problem. Seems like a nuisance. Can people sue them for that now? Because it is a problem. The insurance company? Well, so the insurance company is in the business of making a contract with you that talks about what they cover and what they don't cover. Uh, so if they had a contract that said they should be covering the treatment and they don't, that's that's something you could win on. Uh, if they say in their contract, we're not going to cover that, then it's bad insurance maybe but that's a contractual relationship. So I think it would be very difficult. That said, I would have told you before all this started that it would be very difficult to win this case against the pharmacies. And realistically, I'm not sure that they were going to lose a lot of these cases. You've got places like California and Oklahoma saying, no, that's ridiculous. And so the settlement here is interesting because it's not at all obvious to me that they were going to lose most of this. So I think mostly you're looking at how much it costs to actually litigate things. Right. You can go and you can say, oh, let's look at the Ohio case. What did that cost? Uh, and just in terms of lawyers, we wound up losing. So that's a possibility. We have to account for that. And if we multiply that by three to five thousand of these cases, what is the number that is just what we would have had to have spent even if we won them all? And looking at that and putting it in our numbers, in our budget and saying, OK, we're willing to spend 10 billion dollars uh, if that is uh, is going to make this all go away. The economy of law doesn't change just between individual and individual or these small businesses and these big businesses, like I talk about in my article about the IKEA. It also matters at this high level, which is, all right, what is the actual number? What are our chances of winning? Uh, what are our chances of losing? What's the likely outcome of losing 30% of these cases and the money we would owe there and the lawyers that we would pay? Okay, that's a number that we can offer in settlement. You're okay with that settlement. We're done. It's not about merit. This is why I get on Twitter and social media and say settlements do not necessarily mean somebody is in the wrong because the legal system is so expensive. You go and you do your analysis. You multiply by your percentage likelihood chances of success. And you go and you figure out what number you'd be willing to settle for regardless of whether or not you did anything or you think you should be liable for it. Thank you so much for the chat, Stephanie. I really appreciate it. Crazy Cat Queen, just because you're awesome, you didn't need to do that, Crazy Cat Queen. You didn't need to do that. Thank you so much for the very generous super chat. I very much appreciate it. And the support of conversations, discussions like this, hangouts and headlines means a lot to me. You as a community mean a lot to me. That is very nice of you to do, Crazy Cat Queen. And again, 
I am sorry. I think you make a lot of good points. I don't have that context with respect to medical professionalism, uh, but I can certainly see that we don't have in America the relationships with doctors that I think we should. Thank you so much. Uh, that Sarah, the DEA likes to play gatekeeper as well with their manufacturing quota limits. And in some places, pharmacists gatekeep birth control, angry emoji. It's a mess. Yeah. I don't think we have a good feel for the roles that various people should have on this, whether or not that's because it's outsourced to federal or state agencies. That's an open question, but certainly now with these kinds of liabilities, you can't run a business like a Walgreens and not take this kind of potential liability into account now right? You'd be breaching your fiduciary duty that we talk about so often. You have to assume that you could potentially be brought in and made liable for the actual legal prescriptions that you fulfill. At that point in time, you have to consider having other procedures. And I don't think that winds up in a good outcome for anybody, save maybe those community projects at these municipalities that are now going to have a windfall for what? I don't know. Thank you so much for the chat that Sarah. I really appreciate it. Okay, so I think we're good on super chats. If you, anybody wants to raise more super chats, I will try to catch them. But we're now in the pay, uh, the the place where we can uh, talk uh, about other things that people are thinking. Julia says this is all terrible for people like me who have suffered from serious chronic illness for over thirty years. This whole mess has created a system in which doctors and pharmacists are afraid to treat pain. I don't think it takes a giant leap in logic to believe that that's one of the things that will happen here. Um, that it probably already is happening. I am, I'm blessed to not have to deal with chronic pain. I'm very sorry to hear that you do, Julia. Uh, but that if I'm a doctor, I'm worried about what I prescribe. If I'm a pharmacist, I'm worried about what I fulfill. If I'm a pharmaceutical company, I'm potentially worried about what I make. And that can create shortages, that can create reluctance, that can create all sorts of problems. And if you are one of those people in chronic pain and only Vicodin helps, only whatever helps, and you just simply can't get it because of society, uh, that's got to be infuriating. It's got to be absolutely infuriating uh, and unfair and unjust uh, for your particular situation. And I think we should always be cognizant of that, even when we see bad things. Nobody wants to see people die of overdoses of opioids. There are going to be people that would look at a conversation like this or even what I'm saying and say, oh, you just want the people to die. No, of course not. But we have to be careful with the tools we have at our disposal to try to affect a positive outcome for the most people. And I worry that that's not happening here. And that's why we're having the conversation. Uh, the DEA also uh, keeps treatment for opioid addiction. In the U.S. right now, doctors have to get a waiver to prescribe effective medications for opioid use treatment. Uh, that's actually kind of unbelievable. Is opioid use treating drugs or other mechanisms, are they themselves addictive? These are things that I frankly just don't know. Uh, so I don't want to go too a far field on that. Uh, but if they aren't, uh, it's hard to believe other than kind of moral consternation why we wouldn't be very free about giving giving away things that otherwise help treat addiction. We don't want people to die, right? Right. Um, Brenda Lee Leiden Carpenter says, this was even at the pharmacy connected to the hospital I'd been being treated at for three years at the time. I think I caught the tail end of another story there, so I apologize. Did Hoag skip my House MD super chat? I must have SCGA 643. We're going to go back in time to see if we can't grab that. House MD, of course, almost makes a joke out of opioid addiction throughout very many of its episodes. It does try to address it a little bit more as things go on. Uh, but uh, yeah, there, there are definitely differences in time uh, for how we treat the concepts of somebody pill popping, which House is well known for. Now, of course, House MD, as I try to find this super chat, uh, House MD 
is a, a reimagining informed by Sherlock Holmes, uh, who was famously addicted to opioids as part of his uh, mystery solving mechanism. So it kind of goes along with that from even earlier in time than when House was on our television shows. Now we could, should see all the laws broken in House MD, says SCJ643. Yep. Yep. A lot of laws broken. In fact, you see House, in fact, filling his own prescriptions to get himself opioids and things like that uh, and stealing from the, the hospital itself. Sorry, I missed that, SCJ643. Anybody, if you see that happening, just let me know. I do not take offense. I am imperfect. This institution of Hangouts and Headlines also run by humans, and I do my best, but <laughs> I sometimes miss these things. I always feel bad about it. I want to make sure that you guys that are supporting this channel and these conversations I love so much get the value you deserve out of these things. LEB says, but House admits his addiction and struggles with it throughout the whole series. I, struggles with it might be strong, right? So I, I think he admits it. I think it is a part of the story, uh, but it's often kind of skipped about just how potentially bad it is, in my opinion, right? This is subjective. This is taste on a show. I like House MD a lot. I haven't watched it in many years. Uh, but in my opinion, it's treated like a joke a lot. He does it as kind of a punchline. He pops a pill a number of times. And yes, I know they use it in plot points, and I think that's good. Uh, but it probably wouldn't be made exactly the same way in 2022, I wouldn't imagine. Sherlock, Rich says, Sherlock Holmes was not addicted to opiates. You cannot function if you're on opiates on a regular basis. I am fully willing to re-examine my uh, conceits on Sherlock Holmes. I, I, I believe... I believe he's taking what fruit of, fruit of the poppy all the time. That's an opioid, isn't it? I, I'm I'm perfectly happy to accept help on this, uh, but that's that's kind of Sherlock Holmes's deal. No. <laughs> okay. All right. Laura says my prescriptions are limited to an exact amount, with a partial fill to put all meds to be on the same schedule. I was wondering why they did that. Now I know. Better monitor you. Absolutely. Gee, I feel Twitter-esque claustrophobia, says Astrid. So much to say, so few characters. <laughs> On the Super Chat, I'm sorry about that. Google sets those. You don't have to Super Chat. I, I can't guarantee I will find you, uh, but I do try to talk to uh, a lot of the comments that aren't just Super Chats. As much as I love the support, I also love the support of just the conversation, so please don't feel obliged to do that. Abigail Korfman says, I really don't like setting the precedent for pharmacies to judge whether or not to give out medicine I have a prescription for. It's hard enough to get a diagnosis sometimes when you quote unquote look fine. Absolutely. Um, and because of the liabilities here, I suspect, thankfully I haven't had to have this meeting with a doctor myself. I suspect doctors are much more likely to be like, mm, you have pain for what? And uh, how much does that hurt? And be, and be almost suspicious of patients, which I think is kind of an unhealthy relationship for a healthcare professional. But I can't imagine that's not the case when you see these kinds of liabilities and the size that they are at. Mary Bell says there needs to be a balance of trying to prevent opioid addiction and helping chronic pain patients. Okay, yeah. I have to drive three hours to get my meds to manage my chronic pain. Doctor here is too scared to prescribe. Sad emoji. I think I think that can absolutely be the case for more and more people as this goes on. And I think that's a problem. Laura, uh, Laura M says 10 years chronically ill and undiagnosed. Here's to my fellow sufferers. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Lovely says, I had no idea this was such a prevalent issue. Thank you, Mr. Hogue, for covering. Absolutely. This is the kind of stuff I like to cover. One of the things I was just talking to one of my colleagues about last night is that I love Hangouts and Headlines because we do get to cover a little bit more broadly topics that I'm interested in that I think are important that don't really fit the virtual legality mold. Uh, and so 
This has been a, a great experience. We're now in November, so we're at about the six-month mark for Hangouts and Headlines. If you've got any tips, tricks, or otherwise that you'd like to see changed about this or things you'd like to have me move in a direction for for this show, leave it in the comments. I'm always interested in what you're thinking about what we should be doing, what we should be covering. But I've really very much enjoyed having these conversations uh, and being able to talk about other things it's still primarily focused on business and business arrangements because that's what I know and that's what I'm most interested in, uh, but outside of software technology and those kinds of things. Kelly Clancy says, I don't like opioids because they make me feel worse, but I don't have chronic pain, so I can't imagine how difficult this is for those that do. Here, here, Kelly. I, won't, I don't want anybody to be in chronic pain, and I think that's a problem. I thought Sherlock Holmes used cocaine. Cocaine is the, is the vote for Sherlock Holmes. Heroin comes from poppy seeds. I really thought it was milk of the poppy. But if it's cocaine, I believe you. I have not read Sherlock Holmes in quite a long time. And obviously there are so many different versions of Sherlock Holmes. It could be coming from any number of them. I could be thinking of the BBC Sherlock or elementary or anything else that doesn't come directly from Arthur Conan Doyle. Uh, so I thought it was uh, poppy. If it is not, hey, I'm always happy to be corrected on this kind of stuff. Opium comes from poppies and Holmes took opium for boredom, not while solving cases. First of all, let me say this. I have no problem being corrected. I think this is great. Two, I absolutely love that this chat, you all, this community is coming in here hot with Sherlock Holmes knowledge. I think that is absolutely fantastic. And I, I'm happy to be corrected on this stuff. Uh, so that is that is awesome. That is awesome. Sherlock wasn't really considered an addict. That's a modern interpretation. Fair enough. Fair enough. Cannabis used to be the DEA's cash cow. Now that cannabis is becoming legal, the DEA needs another target to demonize. Maybe. Maybe. SCJ says there's a good YouTube analysis of House MD and how the episode Broken was a great ending point. Okay. I will keep that in mind. I don't know that I actually ever made it to the end of House. House is predominantly procedural. Uh, and sometimes I don't make it to the end of procedurals because, you know, they're procedural. They're the same. Ningal1994 says there are thousands of functional addicts as counterpoints to whether or not you could solve cases if you were otherwise on, on opium or, or things like that. I don't doubt that there are folks that can work through an addiction at the same time. Regular opiate users can definitely function. Pam says, yes, Rick, I believe you were correct regarding Sherlock Holmes and his poppy seed obsession. Sherlock used cocaine occasionally. He was staunchly against opium. Modern interpretation plays up his addiction. All of these can be true. Uh, I am primarily more familiar with the modern interpretations of Sherlock, uh, so that I am fully willing to grant. Crafting with Mrs. H as a new name for co-counsel. This chat is magnificent. Love having a place to have these conversations. Absolutely, co-counsel. Thank you so much. Thank you, Hogan Chat, for having such an empathetic chat. Much appreciated. We try to have conversations here. Reasonable minds can differ. Those reasonable minds, this is tricky stuff. This is tricky stuff. You've got people in chronic pain. You've got people dying. You've got the law trying to figure out exactly where to put liability for those things. If it's deserved, all of this reasonable minds can differ on. We're never going to change that here. That is our ethos because it's how I believe functionally in real life. Emily says, oh, I really appreciate your mantra of RMCD and that we can have nuanced conversations about many topics. Game controller emoji, red heart emoji. I appreciate it. Uh, but that's honestly, it, it's it's you guys as a community you know, following up on that. That's my dream is to have reasonable minds can differ on important things like this, where really big stakes are on the line, death and huge amounts of liability and corporations and the DEA and everything else. And that's, that's really because of you guys that we can have that in this space. So thank you. 
I can't find Mrs. Hogue's channel. Uh, it is linked at the very top of the last Hangouts and Headlines. I will link it in this one. Why not? She loves it when I link that video. Hey, co-counsel. It's a really great video. Honestly, guys, uh, we got 625 people in chat. So like and subscribe, do those various things. But I think we can get co-counsel's first video to over a thousand views if you hop in there and go check it out. So one of the things I will do, maybe I'll even do a redirect tomorrow. Mm, is that fair? Mm, it's a little bit uh, family bias. Maybe, maybe. Uh, but if you go check out that video, I think we get it over a thousand views, which for a first video would be amazing. I told her my first video had 12 views. She didn't believe me. It's the truth. I don't think you can check that because people go back to the earliest versions of the videos and check out what I was doing to start. And that's always cool. Uh, but I believe the first video I did had 12, 12, and she's going to hit a thousand and her stuff, her stuff is better than my first videos. So if you're interested in crafting, she did an awesome crafting project about a little haunted house. You should definitely check it out uh, because I'm really proud of her. Takes a lot, honestly, to go out online with anything because she's seen how people treat me. <laughs> She's she's seen my comments on a regular basis. She's seen the tweets directed at me uh, and still she did it. So I'm very, very proud of her. You could probably tell. I will stop now. <laughs> I, will, I will I will stop. Uh, but uh, I think I think we can get her over a thousand. I think we can get her over a thousand. Uh, and I'm subscribed and maybe I'll add it to one of like the view lists on the, on the channel. Okay, folks. Uh, it's been a fantastic Hangouts and Headlines. I wish it weren't so serious. I wish so many people's lives weren't affected negatively. Uh, but I think these are important conversations to have. So thank you for joining me uh, in Hangouts and Headlines today. Uh, yes, Kim Ellen, Mrs. Hoaglaw has a whole video about crafting a little haunted house. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. So go check it out. But everybody else, thank you so much for hanging out with me. Tomorrow will be Casual Friday. Hey, if you have an idea for that Casual Friday article, it has not been selected yet. Um, so leave a comment to this video with any notions you might have or DM me on Twitter, anything else that you can do. I am always looking for good uh, articles to cover and feel free to do that for other days in Hangouts and Headlines as well. This is a community now. Um, so I will pick what I'm interested in. I will continue to talk about those kinds of things. But if you see something and say, hey, you know what? That might be a really cool Hangouts. Um, let me know uh, because it's always very useful to have all those multiple eyes out there finding cool stuff to talk about. And I want to do things that you guys like and want to talk about in this space. So I will see you tomorrow on Casual Friday. Jojo, thank you so much for the for the super sticker here. There is a pair rolling on the floor laughing that you can see in chat. I love it. Cartoon pairs. Very much a win. I wish I could show them to you on this screen. Uh, but otherwise, folks, I will see you tomorrow. We'll have virtual legality, probably at least one uh, today or tomorrow. Lawyers and Dragons still scheduled for Saturday. Stay tuned. That time is probably going to have to move. We've got a bit of a conflict with one of our loyal lawyers and dragons party members it's just been that way for a couple of weeks but we think we're still going to have a show and just keep an eye on what time that actually is everybody else have a great thursday hopefully the mist has cleared up a little bit where you are or if it's just sunny hopefully you're enjoying that day and i'll see you on the next hand to